Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Ripples in Space podcast. I'm John Davis. I'm Kate Reagan. Happy June, everybody! We're already halfway through the year. It's crazy. We've been going several months, and we're excited to keep on going. It's also crazy hot where we are, so hopefully it's not too bad wherever you are out there in the world. So, uh, to get this episode 14 started, we have a story today by John Steckley that I think you uh, will enjoy. And uh, John here is going to read the bio, and then I'll read the story, and then we'll have a little bit of a conversation about it at the end. Generally, what we have been doing now for 13 other episodes. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. John Steckley retired as a college instructor in 2015. His subject areas were anthropology, sociology, and indigenous studies. He wrote textbooks and studies the Wendat language. Since retiring, he has been writing a lot of short stories. The Black Hole by John Steckley The Background From the day Chris received his first telescope as a Christmas gift, maybe even before that, when he first saw the Northern Lights, he was destined to become an astrophysicist. As a child, he would spend the better part of most nights staring at the sky and making careful notes concerning what he had seen. When his sixth-grade class visited the local observatory, he had to almost literally be dragged away, back to the bus and away from the sky. In high school, he gave a presentation on black holes that wowed all those who were there, even the sarcastic cool kids at the back of the classroom. Yes, he was a sky geek, but he was a brilliant one, who could explain clearly what it was that so fascinated him, a rare combination of skills, thinking and speaking. By the time he was a graduate student, his research surpassed those of his teachers, and he became a world authority on black holes. So it was not surprising that he was the first to discover black hole spin-offs. These were spinning masses that managed, with the force generated by that circular motion, to escape the powerful gravitational pull of black holes. Despite their small relative size to the big guys, they themselves had a pretty impressive pull of their own. Chris wrote several articles in big-name academic journals, a highly technical book, and a more digestible, popular work on the subject. Whenever the word genius was used in the popular media, his name was likely to be included. The Big Idea With this as his background, it was not surprising to his peers and many others who followed his work that he came up with a big idea concerning the practical use of black hole spinoffs. They could be one possible answer to the garbage problem on Earth, plastic in the oceans, and if that worked out, various forms of toxic waste cast onto and into the land. The black hole spinoffs could consume the garbage. He was so excited by this idea, as were those that heard it shortly after he first conceived of it, that he didn't quite completely think it through. This had happened rarely, even at the beginning of his astrophysicist career. His fame and popularity had on this one instance overrode his proper scientific caution. Even geniuses can have their heads turned by flattery. Once he came up with this idea, what he needed to do was to find a way to attract black hole spinoffs earthward. This took a lot of equations and intense thoughts through many a dark and sleepless night. What he worked out was relatively simple, his own words, not anyone else's. 
All that was necessary was to create and send into deep space a series of satellites that performed a similar spinning motion. Because of that motion, they would be more likely to attract the attention of the black hole spin-offs. The metaphor he used was that introducing the satellites to the spin-offs would be like leaving a biscuit along the path to attract dogs. This wasn't his best analogy, but it worked with the popular media. Once the black hole spin-offs came nearly as close to Earth as the moon, Chris could use an invention developed by one of his colleagues, a particularly creative scientist named Glenn. It used the newly created hyperlasers to envelop objects in space, then draw them close to Earth. Chris termed them laser lassos, a name that caught on with the media. Launching the Spacebait Satellites Chris was more than just a wild-eyed theorist. He was also brilliant when it came to applying his theories for practical purposes. It took several months less than a year's hard work in the lab that he ran at a prestigious university to construct the satellites. With his well-established powers of presentation and persuasion, he was able to convince the federal government's space agency to create the rockets necessary for launching his creations into deep space. He had a backup plan just in case they didn't go along with his proposal, a kind of sonic slingshot. Chris had created a prototype, but told his assistants to keep quiet about it, as it would be easy to ridicule to those not in the know. A few months after government acceptance of the plan, the first satellite was launched via rocket into the airless sky. Soon, all ten of the spinning spheres formed a trail of space bait for two of the closest black hole spinoffs. Following the plan So far, everything had gone according to plan. The two black hole spinoffs went straight for the bait and came closer and closer to Earth. Once they came about as far away as the moon, the team used the laser lasso to bring the black hole spin-offs a short distance outside the Earth's atmosphere. One was pulled into a position hovering over the city of New York, the other dragged over the skies that looked down upon Dublin, Ireland. Britain had wanted it in London, but Brexit killed that. Irish eyes were smiling on the day of the decision. The plan was to have ships from the navies of several countries with coastlines haul plastic garbage out of the Atlantic Ocean. They would then launch the mess up into the black hole spinoffs via cheaply made disposable rockets that dragged a larger cylinder that contained the garbage. The spinoffs would suck in both rockets and cylinders. No need to reduce, recycle, or reuse. The plastic would depart into alternative space bodies. No longer a problem for Earth. McDonald's didn't have to finally fulfill their long-delayed promise of eliminating plastic straws in their stores in North America. The next few months were filled with congratulations. Chris was a shoe-in for the Nobel Prize in Physics. Naval officers, and even their crews, got used to being photographed, videotaped, and interviewed. The names of their ships were well known. Recruitment to the Navy went up. They were working for the planet. The Unexpected then the unexpected happened in several ways. Small at first, barely noticeable from the perspective of the lab. People on the streets of Dublin had plastic water bottles sucked right out of their hands, as did visitors to the Statue of Liberty in New York. A comedian on Saturday Night Live joked that the statue might soon wake up and walk like it did in Ghostbusters 2. But soon, there was nothing to laugh at. Larger plastic objects were moving skyward. The force of the black hole spin-offs was growing. 
After coming back from a three-week public relations tour for his work, Chris went to his telescope to check the spin-offs. What he soon discovered disturbed him. The spin-offs were getting bigger, therefore gaining in gravitational strength. He had forgotten a basic characteristic of black holes, one that applied to the spin-offs as well. Feed them, and they will grow. Why had he not thought of that? It was clear to Chris that the initial success of the project, the fame, and the money that was coming into his lab had clouded his once clear sky of his scientific mind. What could he do to stop the process? No rocket could move the spin-offs. They would only get sucked in like the plastic. No weapon could handle them. He realized that the laser lasso that brought them in could not take them away. You can't push a horse with a lasso. It was down to the sonic slingshot. He, his lab crew, and the construction company that he had hired to build the prototype had to work non-stop for days to increase the size and strength of the prototype. It was constructed by stringing with thick cable, high-powered speakers between two very tall poles. The cable with the speakers attached hung low, almost to the ground. As soon as the device was turned on, the cable snapped up quickly. The speed of the acceleration plus the low pitch and sheer volume put out by the speakers should, if the plan worked, drive the spin-offs far away. It could only work with something of the density of the spin-offs. Clouds and airplanes were safe. Everyone was up for the task as they realized that, like in science fiction movies of the 1950s, the fate of the world was in their hands. Many cheered them on. However, Fox News and the newspapers with the last name Sun and other conspiracy-friendly media spoke of Chris and his laboratory assistants as evil scientists, plotting the destruction of the conservative world order. At least one of the lab assistants was known to be a card-carrying Democrat, and Chris had been heard endorsing the facts of climate change and evolution. Plan B to the Rescue the sonic slingshot was soon completed and placed underneath the New York black hole spinoff that hovered over the city like a dark circular cloud. People were told that for a brief period of about a minute, there would be a great booming sound, so they should cover their ears at precisely 10 o'clock in the morning. Early that day, there was great apprehension around the world. People did look to the sky, as they were told to do in old science fiction movies. Then, at 10 o'clock, there was the predicted boom. It wasn't long before it hit the black hole spinoff, and within seconds, began to force it away from Earth. But before it left our atmosphere, a large opening appeared at the Earth's side end of the spinoff. A huge, clear mass shot out. It was a small town-sized plastic turd that splashed into the ocean near New York, causing a huge wave to hit the harbor shortly thereafter. This entire experience was repeated when the sonic slingshot was moved to Dublin. At least the Irish were ready for the giant plastic turd to fall and were more prepared. Old men moved to pubs far away from the coastline. Still, there was some destruction by the huge waves in the city, too. What have we learned? Chris gathered together his lab crew to address the questions of what have we learned from this and what do we do with the plastic megaturds? The room was quiet at first. Then Chris started to speak, but not with his usual rhetorical confidence. I think we can say that we need to know that there will always be forces that are beyond our control, 
that we are arrogant to think we can. This created a somber mood in the room. And as for the megaturds now wedged off the harbor of two major cities, I'm thinking scientific theme parks where people can teach of the destructiveness of our pollution and our overestimation of our ability to control the forces of nature and to rule the skies. We can have graduate students dress up as plastic straws as the interpreters. You guys are always telling me that you could use more money. The laughter was slow to emerge, but when it did, it filled the room, having both a sense of the limits of human achievement and a sense of humor are necessary for scientists in the 21st century. Alrighty, well, there you have it. Plastic is going to end us all. And there's no easy solution to our, um, shall we say, pollution crisis. <laughs> I, I just think it's hilarious, the uh, use of the term megaturds. I mean, just thinking about that much plastic rolled up in a big giant ball sitting in the middle of the ocean. Well, I mean, there is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and if you haven't heard of that, you should Google it because it's terrifying. There's literally a garbage patch larger than the state of Texas floating around in the Pacific Ocean. So while this was a lighthearted tale, it does have quite a uh, more serious undertone. And though that might not have been the initial goal of the story, it still uh, hones in a great message of we need to be more aware of the refuse that we have. And the amount of plastic and or trash that we may, in fact, generate. So, uh, yeah, food for thought. But another thing that I wonder, had the black holes not backfired and actually you know, gone back into the depths of space, and that line about it's no longer Earth's problem, or wh whatever it was exactly, it, wh what happens to all of the poor aliens out there? Then it becomes their problem, and then they come and invade Earth because we threw trash on their planet. I mean, it's the whole uh, it's the whole landfill problem, right? It's like, oh, we'll just put the garbage where we can't see it and try to forget about it, and then eventually it comes back. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, is is shooting our trash into stars or the black hole the answer? Maybe, maybe not, but uh, I certainly think eventually somebody probably will try it in the near future Ooh, you know they should take a cue from you remember our first story of the shuffler where the poor guy working in the cafeteria had to throw the garbage into the sun i mean yeah people have been talking about throwing garbage into the sun for a while the trick is making it cost effective fuel wise but sure yes that is a giant <laughs> furnace that you can probably melt anything in so yes let's let's use it right till, it, till it's gone <laughs> That is ingenuity right there. Well, anyway, as we digress into uh, solving the world's garbage problem, um, if this story struck a chord with you or you're a first-time listener and you like to write, you should, you know, send us our stories. We say this a lot, but we really do love to uh, read your work that you submit. Um, so, yeah, you can find us on Submittable. We have a couple of different categories. Uh, there's right now the podcast and then also Unending Tales from the Void. And pretty soon here, once we get our spring 2019 stories published on our website, we'll have a summer 2019 uh, category. So you can send us your longer stories there, and we can look at those and uh, maybe publish them on the website. So stay tuned for more exciting content. 
And if you liked listening to our podcast, please be sure to give us a like or a review. I, I think you can rate us on iTunes, uh, Spotify. I'm not sure if they have any rating capabilities, but still share us. Uh, you know, share us on the social media. You can share the Spotify podcast through social media on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our Instagram, and uh, we would just love to see you guys excited about our works because we're excited about yours. And it's funny because, like, as Netflix figured out how they can, like, eliminate you having to rewatch opening credit sequences when it's on autoplay, I feel like if any of you are still listening at this point, you are definitely a first-time listener because if you've listened to any of our other stories and you hear us start <laughs> talking about submitting, you've heard it oh, already yeah. it's 13 to, other times. <laughs> In which case, you know, cool if you continue to still listen to all those. That's great, but... Uh, Gold star for you. You're the devoted listener. Yeah, that one. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next week from all of us here at Ripples in Space. Cheers from the void. Happy summer, everybody.